This talk was given by Ron Hogan Green Sensei at the Zen Center of New York City. Hogan Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order and co-director of ZCNYC. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or to find out more about our retreats and residency programs, visit us online at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. This is case number 74 from the 300 Koan Shobogenzo, Yaoshan's Discourse. The main case. Yaoshan had not given a discourse in the Dharma Hall for some time. The monastery director said, The assembly has long been waiting to receive teaching from you. Please give a discourse to the assembly, Master. Yaoshan asked, asked him to sound the Han. The monastics came together. Yaoshan took the high seat, sat there for a while, got down, and went back to the abbot's room. The monastery director followed him and asked, Master, you agreed to give a discourse to the assembly. Why didn't you say a word? Yaoshan said, Scriptural teachers are for scriptures. Commentary teachers are for commentaries. What do you expect from this old monastic? Daito Roshi's commentary. Since the Dharma of suchness is not about koans, scriptures, or commentaries, or I might add shikantaza, or breath practice, is this what has left Yaoshan speechless? Or is, it that, or is it that he just has nothing to say? Or is it possible he did say something after all? If so, what did he say? If you go to speech to express it, you have missed it. If you resort to silence to express it, you are still a thousand miles from the truth. If you think it's neither speech nor silence, or both speech and silence, you're practicing the self-styled Zen of the dilettante. What did Yaoshan say? <coughs> Do you need water or a cough drop? Daito Roshi's capping verse. The Dharma of suchness, infinitely profound and minutely subtle. In 2,500 years of transmission, it has never passed from mouth to ear. In the midst of Zazen, can we just let go? Can we single-mindedly devote ourselves to just Zazen? That's not a simple thing. We sit down, our intentions are good, our determination may be strong, and yet our mind does what our mind does. In the early years of Zen practices in the West, the encouragement and demand was to just concentrate on Zazen. Just Zazen. The mechanics of Zazen, the function of Zazen. And let everything uh, go. Let everything else go. Pretty much what I just said. Now the clear instruction is to concentrate on your breath or whatever your practice is. And if something arises that sticks and you can't let it go, Stay with that. Stay with that as the focus of your practice until you can let it go and then come back to your practice of sasan. This is important, crucial. 
And yet there are places in each perspective that we can go off the rails in Sazen. In the demand to just concentrate on Zazen and let everything else go, we will bypass. We're letting everything else go. We will use our practice, perhaps, to not acknowledge what we should be acknowledging that is before us in our life journey. What can result from this is some degree of insight into these problems that our mind naturally goes to, but less true wisdom, a rigidity that knows but does not allow not knowing. But this is not necessarily a bad thing. Somehow bypassing has got a bad reputation. That we, and bypassing is where we're using spiritual practice to not address the challenges of our life. But actually, as we begin to sit and practice, all we have is bypassing. That's, that's it. That's the whole of how our life has been. And so we sit, and what does our mind encounter? All the challenges and pains and aspects that are we don't want to go near and yet come up, and we're asked to let that go. And so perhaps we do let it go. And in do, doing so, we may not, may not be dealing with those issues that are deeply affecting us. The other side of that is there can be a tendency to fall into using zazen as meditation. That is, as a way to see what arises in our mind as our issues, and to stay with this as a means of studying these issues. This can be a simple and effective way to feel better about ourselves and to address these issues. But if that's where we stay, and continually stay, and continually stay, then nothing more may ever happen. And so it's a delicate balance, because in the beginning, and the beginning can be a month, ten months, 10 years, until our mind settles, enough. Until there's some equilibrium between the, the things that vex us, the, the places in our personality where we stick, although we wouldn't consider it that, from that perspective necessarily. We just see it as ourself and our life. Until there's some stability in our zazen and in our mind, until we're able to actually see the recurring themes that continually come up for us, the recurring patterns of our life that have caused us harm and probably brought us to Zen practice. And until there's enough stability and willingness to actually let that go, to not lodge there on an ongoing basis, then then we don't have the opportunity to go deep, deeply within our zazen, meaning deeply investigate not just what causes the self-suffering, but what is our self? Who are we at this fundamental level? Now, this tension will never go away, but in the beginning, it's all we have. We just have our self. And then as we continue to practice, what should happen, may happen, can happen, is that we begin to see 
There's different ways to frame this. One is we don't have to take ourselves so seriously that these issues become thinner as we begin to see that we can see our thought and let it go, see our story and let it go. And even though the story has weight and karma and consequence sometimes, that in seeing it and letting it go, we begin to actually see for itself that these clouds, these stories, these thoughts have no inherent basis. They're not, perm- they're not some permanent fixation. They're, they're stuff. And the stuff is endless, actually. And so we can go through a whole life dealing with our stuff. It's, it's interesting in a personal sense. I've described many times I've had a, a rough childhood and relationship with my stepmother. And um, in the early years of Zazen, that would often come up with bitterness and hatred and the stories, which are true stories, but from a very limited perspective. And I began to realize that this was, in effect, a stopping point for me, that there were other aspects of practice that I could continue to develop. But at some point, nothing more was going to happen in terms of really opening my heart until I started with the most basic person in my life, the, 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 the mother who raised me, in effect, and was able to see not just my perspective of how I perceived it as a five, seven, ten-year-old child, which is, of course, a very limited uh, and perhaps painful viewpoint, but until I could see a larger part of the picture, her part of the picture, what was her perspective? What, if, if, I, if the reality I experienced was all framed in terms of uh, how much how many painful things happened to me? What was my responsibility in this? Was I just some passive child that received pain? Or was was there some actions on my part? And most importantly, what was I getting that I was ignoring? Who was preparing my lunch every day, my dinner and my breakfast? And who was taking me to school? And who was putting clothes on my body? And who was providing a house for me, and the books I love to read, which didn't do away with the other aspects of my experience, but rounded out the picture in a significant degree. And when I began to study this, I began to see that these stories are stories, and every story has a very limited perspective. And what am I missing? So this this has occupied my early years of Zazen to a great degree. And it's easy now for me to go back there and recreate that story. It's so familiar. But I also know that story is a lie. A lie in the sense not that it doesn't contain things that happened, but it's such a narrow slice of the fuller relationship that I can now see through adult eyes. The challenge here that can arise is that our discursive mind is quite eager to be discursive in Zazen. Our problems that we need to be aware of that feeds right into our perfectionist tendencies to feel and to get it right are always there. It's always easy to lodge in a place that we may not get past 
simply because we'll never get it right. And within our zazen, we may never get it right if we just stay with our confusion. It's kind of like having our psychologist in our head, always ready for another session. So what is this koan about? There's enormous emphasis on the practice of zazen. Why? Zazen is the confirmation of our essential nature. We're always within our essential nature. But that does not mean that we're always on the path of realizing it. In doing zazen, no matter what we may be judging about our zazen, we are on that path. We may think our zazen is disjointed, scattered all over the place, not to our satisfaction. It's interesting. You know, when is your zazen to your satisfaction? You know, the only time it's going to be to our satisfaction is what we imagine samadhi is. But actually, when samadhi, the falling away of body and mind, happens, there's no measure of satisfaction of zazen. It's irrelevant. It doesn't exist, that measurement, because the self has been seen to one degree or another through in that, those moments where the self has kind of fallen away and we're just being the breath, just sitting as it is, just practicing with the koan. So no matter how we may think we're doing in zazen, we are on the path. And, you know, if, if there's some aspiration to address the suffering in our life and to open our heart, then you really can't do it wrong even though we may go down different byways and highways. This way is beyond knowing and not knowing. And yet the realization of this way is the realization of our true nature, of our self. We rely so much on our conditioned responses that our insecurities demand to frame a structure that seems to promise safety, security, knowledge, freedom from pain. But what would it be like to stand in the freedom of just being, in this moment, just being what you are in this moment? Just that. doesn't mean the mind may not still be moving, but that's part of it, to just be that to just, however subtly we may do it, not demand something else from ourself or cultivate something else out of habit or deny something else out of habit. And even if those thoughts and ideas are there, to just be with that. It asks a lot of ourself. It asks us not to be hooked by our thoughts and yet not repress and push them away, not squash them. It's a challenge. And the fact that we may encounter a moment of freedom at any particular moment doesn't mean the next moment we won't be caught. And thus we practice. You know, Dogen said, what we think in our mind to be good or what other people think to be good is not necessarily good. And just think about that for a moment that out of our habitual ways of thinking what is good 
and by implication what is bad in how we think and what we think, may not necessarily be that. That not necessarily be that rests on on a real desire to, to wake up, rests on a real desire. And when I say wake up, that can be framed in infinite number of ways. To address our suffering, to have a heart of compassion and love, to be free of our bonds, to just to see reality as it is, to have an open heart, finding the path, staying within the practice of our true being is not easy. And although the path is everywhere, we may not see it and may not realize it as our life. And so this is one reason why there's an insistence on Zazen by all enlightened teachers, because that is the path. It's not the whole path, but it's the heart of it. So let's consider this koan. Yaoshan had not given a discourse in the Dharma Hall for some time. The monastery director said, the assembly has long been wanting to receive teachings from you. Please give a discourse to the assembly master. Imagine if uh, tomorrow morning, when this hall is filled, I got up here, paused, and then walked down and walked into the Dyson room. How, how would that be received? Well, that's what happened. That I, that's actually what happened. <laughs> I'm thinking about a story of Mizumi Roshi, which is not directly related to this koan, but in a in different, more subtle sense is, where he, um, I, I don't know if it was on a Sunday service or not, but there was a large group of people there, and they were expecting, quote, in a sense, internally demanding doksan. Um, and he just sat in his seat, you know, in the seat. And finally, you know, during Kinnan, someone asked him. And he said, you know, sometimes I just have to sit. You know, that's the Brooklyn equivalent of T.S. You know, sometimes I just have to sit. So the monastery director said, the assembly has long been wanting to receive teachings from you. And Dido attached a note to that, a comment. It seems that Although the monastery director has eyes to see and ears to hear, he has missed it. The director goes on, please give a discourse to the assembly master. What is the monastery director missing here? In a way, every teacher is faced with the same conundrum that the Buddha was faced after his great realization. How do you speak of what is ever-present our intrinsic, endowed nature, that there is truly no way to speak of, no way to describe, and no way to offer it to anyone. How do you do that? The Buddha taught simply out of his great compassion. He knew he could not give it to anyone. How can you give to someone what they already are? Yet, because each of us must realize this for ourselves, the practice and realization 
can be encouraged and supported for each of us to realize it for ourselves. And we need that. Sometimes we get weary or tired or feel we're failing. Sometimes our practice is not consistent, even though in one sense it's what we want. Sometimes life brings what it brings, and we need not to formally practice. But from a practice perspective, that's not so important. That's the practice when we can't formally practice, can't be here or go to Sashin or be in front of a teacher. Then those circumstances of our life are the practice if they are the practice. And that's a hard thing to understand, a hard thing to value. And I can speak from personal experience in my own life of being at times in my life completely embedded within a a training center, a monastery or or a Zen center as my life. And then the outer circumstances of my life, or you might say the inner circumstances of my life, pulled me away. It was necessary. What did I do then? How did I face my great real depression of not having any access to my teacher, to my sangha, to the teachings in a direct form. And, you know, from a practice perspective, you know, whatever doesn't destroy you makes you stronger. So taking responsibility for that, taking that up, just like we have to take it up when our body gets old or sick or damaged or our mind feels what it feels, which is not what we would like, How can we practice that? How can we turn that energy into something that we can, in fact, be present with? Can, in fact, look at? Can, in fact, have a degree of freedom within our apparent non-freedom? And, you know, it's it's a vital understanding that we always have power, and that power, from a practice perspective, is always to, to practice, to turn towards the Dharma. So Yao Shan asked the, his attendant, the, the, the supervisor, to sound the Han. And the footnote says, what can he say? Okay, the Han is sounding. He's going to give a talk. What can he say? It simply can't be explained. The monastics came together. Yao Shan took the high seat, sat there for a while, got down, and went to the abbot's room. The footnote says, clouds gather, thunder and lightning fills the valley. What just happened? What just happened? What would just happen if I walked away without all this talk? Is there a teaching in this? If so, is it something we can grasp and understand? Something we can frame and know? Or is it just a puzzle? If it's not something we can grasp and understand, then can you say what just happened? The monastery director followed him and said, Master, you agreed to give a discourse to the assembly. Why didn't you say a word? Daito Roshi's note says, missed it again. Yao Shan said, scriptural teachings are for scriptures. Commentary teachings are for commentaries. What did you expect from this old monastic? 
And the footnote says, now he's getting talkative. I would say, that's too bad, what he said. So the commentary does some pointing and helps us see into this koan. Since the dharma of suchness is not about koans, scriptures, or commentaries, is this what has left Yao Shan speechless? Or is it just that he has nothing to say? Nothing to say. Can't be described, then. Nothing to say. Or is it possible that he did say something after all? If so, what did he say? If you go to speech to express it, you have missed it. If you resort to silence to express it, you're still a thousand miles from the truth. If you think it's neither speech nor silence, or both speech and silence, you're practicing the self-styled Zen of the dilettante. What did Yao Shan say? Nitschke said, is language the adequate expression for all realities? And I would say there's a lot of ways, a lot of expressions beyond spoken language. There are many different kinds of speech. Some have nothing to do with words and ideas. There's a couple of koans that are similar to this, but not quite. And it's worth considering that. I've given talks on both of them here. In one, a non-Buddhist in all earnestness asked the world-honored one, the Buddha, I do not ask about words. I do not ask about no words. The world-honored one just sat still. The non-Buddhist praised him and saying, the world-honored one in his benevolence and great mercy has opened the clouds of my delusion and allowed me to enter. Then bowing, he took his leave. Ananda asked Buddha. Ananda was the Buddha's uh, attendant. What did the non-Buddhist realize that made him praise you so much? The Buddha said, he's just like a fine horse that runs even at the shadow of a whip. So here the Buddha was silent. Is that the same koan as this koan? A few weeks ago, we took up the koan of Vilmakirti when he was asked by Manjusri to offer his understanding of non-duality after all the bodhisattvas had expounded on their answers. He responded with what is called thundering silence. I mean, that koan seems to be similar to the one we're working with, and there is some. These koans have a very different point than the koan we're working on today. Or is it possible he did say something after all, says the commentary? If so, what did he say? If you go to speech to express it, you have missed it. If you resort to silence to express it, you're still a thousand miles from the truth. So these other koans are looking to one extent or another at non-duality. Cohen is pointing at something else. One commentator said, Yao Shan gives a Dharma talk, like the pines do, and those who are hungry consume it, with ears to hear and uh, with eyes to hear and ears to see, nothing is left unsaid. And so there's the challenge. With eyes to hear and ears to see, nothing is left unsaid. These kinds of phrases in Zen are pointing at something beyond our ordinary way of seeing and our ordinary way of hearing. 
How do you see, not limited, with the eyes? How do you hear, not limited, by the hearing? We think if it's not speech, then the communication must be silence. And that makes sense to our discursive minds. So what did Yao Shan say? Can we see you and I just as we are? Seeing it in this way, how can it be expressed without getting stuck in speech or silent or imitation? In truly seeing, we may try and say something about it, a description, a comment, a thought process, a comparison, an analogy. It's like, but this is already too far away from our whole being which, after all, excludes nothing, unlike our description. All of the koans, the sitting, the words about Zen, are to help us see intimately. What does intimate mean? No space between the direct experience of hearing, seeing, speaking, thoughts, even thoughts. No space. No thought about. There has to be a cultivation there. A practice. Cultivation is a practice of the willingness to be, to be, to be, just to be without adding anything, what I call without giving it extra value, which of course is not value at all. A willingness in the old, kind of direct encouragement or demand, shut up and sit. A patience, a willingness. You know, when you're waiting, you're waiting, and immediately our mind looks for something, grabs our phone, or contemplates something, or looks around. I am frequently uh, taking one or more of my three grandkids someplace, often multiple places in the same day. And if you've dealt with young children, you know there's a lot of waiting while snacks and shoes and wait, I have to get this and my piano book and etc., 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 etc. It could be a long way between the house and the car. <laughs> and You're waiting. What is waiting? Is it different than zazen? Same as zazen? I mean, you're in a a moment of activity, of waiting, in the midst of a lot of energy going on, some of which requires response, some not. Is this a problem? Is this an opportunity? How many such moments do we have in our life on the subway platform? in line. I drove in yesterday, and there's a, on the drive, I come through from Pennsylvania through New Jersey, and through the tunnel, I guess the Holland Tunnel, and into Manhattan, and there's a section, maybe it's a half mile before I get on the Brooklyn Bridge, and I'm really at, I guess, City Hall or the court system. And that two or three block section took an hour 
So, you know, move two inches. And it's one lane, but there are cars on either side within the one lane, you know, inching. What's the basketball term is assing, trying to ass you out, which refers to how to get a rebound in basketball. Um, and so there's this constant an hour to go two blocks waiting. Where's my mind? Where's your mind in these situations? Is this an opportunity? Is it a way to see your mind? Is it a demand that I should feel this way, but I'm feeling anxious and impatient? The capping verse. The Dharma of suchness, infinitely profound and minutely subtle. In 2,500 years of transmission, it has never passed from mouth to ear. Such dis- suchness does not fall into speech or silence. It doesn't fall anywhere. How could it? In falling so- somewhere, there is an exclusion of where suchness is not. This is the realization of the Buddha. Yet you and I can realize this as ourself, as our life, as our understanding, as our insight, that we do not fall anywhere, and yet we're right here. The Dharma of suchness is not about koans or scriptures or commentaries. It's not even about zazen. It's about you, your life. When you get that, when you really get that this is about your life, that far from being powerless, you are incredibly powerful, that the opportunity to exclude nothing from your life doesn't mean you don't have likes and dislikes, but it's just not a big deal, that that opportunity to exclude nothing means that everything makes you up. This life, your life, can lead to profound realization or to ongoing ignorance that rests in suffering. And we have the choice of this. Every day, many such choices. To turn towards suffering or to turn towards awareness. And even in our awareness, we see the tendency to turn towards suffering. Well, that's interesting how powerful that is. And yet how more, much more powerful it is to see that and to be with that and to see the opportunity. And whether we realize this or not, this is the fundamental truth of reality. It does not rest on our realization or delusion. It does not rest on our faith. And yet as we begin to look deeply within our zazen, we are slowly but surely seeing for ourselves that this true nature is our true nature. It's ours. It's yours. It can't be anything else. With all of our personality quirks and places we go when we're afraid and all of the doors we've slammed in our own face, and yet all of that can be turned can be used to awaken. In a sense, we're cultivating faith in what has always been present. 
And this is the realization of all Buddhas and ancestors. It's the realization that as you sit, you are developing. You are seeing into. Yashan is saying, when he takes a seat, what is it that you want? If you were really hungry for the Dharma, you would have heard my Dharma talk as he gets up and walks away. He expressed the Dharma marvelously for those with the eyes to see. There's no limit to what you can accomplish if you get out of the way, get out of your own way. Forgetting the self and letting this life flow freely. I remind myself of that even when I'm complaining about it. And I do, and we do, right? That's the habit. Forgetting ourself, being aware of ourself, and seeing my complaint, and giving it up, letting my life flow. The point of practice, point of realization, is that your life is the life of all beings. And this is whole and complete from the beginning. We're not adding anything. Nothing needs to be added. Dharma talk or no Dharma talk. Yaoshan knew this, knew in quotes. I mean, he was a legendary teacher, and there are many koans about him in other circumstances with other teachings. This is just one. Our essential nature as a given Go on, it's okay. Can be hard to deeply appreciate from the perspective of our smallness and our very limited view. It can be hard. We are masters of blindness. We can hide in our life from the pain and confusion that we've cultivated. Yet we can also cultivate the desire to awaken, to see things as they truly are. And we can also cultivate the compassion that arises, that is imbued by our practice. In other words, we can awaken. And we can extend that awakening to other beings we encounter. And I say this, and I always frame it again, and I've said it several times in this talk, that we can do this with this body, with this mind, with this personality, with these foibles, with these limitations, so-called limitations, which are actually opportunities. It has always been this way, this opportunity. Please don't be confused. Please practice your confusion. Please see your confusion as the gateway to freedom. Thanks so much for listening. For meditation supplies such as cushions, incense, liturgical instruments, dharma books, and more, visit monasterystore.org. Support for your spiritual practice at home.